Hey everybody, welcome back to 2020 and a new season of Startup Sales. Really excited for this year. Uh, I've got already a lot of uh, A players uh, joining us to add a lot more value for you. So uh, today we're going to be speaking to Vern Harnish. Uh, he's going to speak about uh, you know the first thing you need to be doing every day for sales. He's going to rant on what founders uh, sh- should be doing. Uh, he, he's Great. He's going to be talking also about a call first before asking for a meeting and a lot of other really good, strong tips to help with your sales and get get you that momentum. Um, other guests that we're going to have on this season is going to be uh, David Allen, uh, who's going to talk about getting things done and being able to uh, optimize your day and your workflow. We're going to be speaking to Roman Levault, uh, uh, the, one of the VCs and general partners of Partech, uh, and he's going to give us his perspective on how startups should be doing sales. Uh, really a powerful uh, session with him. We've also got other experts such as David Beckett, uh, who's going to be talking about how to set up your pitch, uh, both your pitch to VCs and your pitch to uh, clients so that you could get your sales done. So... A lot packed uh, into this season. We're going to have a lot of other great guests coming up. So let's get to today with uh, with Vern. Uh, he's got a, a tremendous book out there, and I highly recommend you you pick it up. I'm in the middle of it now, and uh, he's got a lot a lot to say in this uh, this session. So get your pen and paper. Let's get to it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode with Vern, wanted to speak, if you're an early stage uh, startup and you need help defining how you're going to price and, and offer your product, uh, then we've got a boot camp for you that this is one of the many things that we work on is your pricing as well as pitching and setting up all the systems in place so that it's a, a key turn uh, sales process for you. So if you want more information on that, just head on over to startupsales.io. That's startupsales.io and uh, find the bootcamp link and you could get more information there. Let's get to today's episode with Vern. Hey, Vern, thanks for joining us today. Adam, glad to be on. So the audience uh, knows who you're talk who we're talking to. Uh, Vern, you've you've published a really good book. Who I, actually I just learned about it and I just started reading it last night. Um, but can you tell people a little bit of back- about you and your background? Well, I think what's a, you know makes sense for your audience. Back when I was in college, I had a chance to help scale up a company to about twelve million in revenue, and I started in sales and became the head of sales and marketing for that firm. And that's where I really learned a lot about what I think we're going to talk about here. I then went on and built YEO, that's now EO globally, 14,000 members. So been hanging around this space for almost 40 years. <laughs> Terrific. So you've seen a lot of uh, 
founders and and the earlier stage and making what mistakes they made and before we actually started recording you went on a little rant about the the biggest problems that founders are are dealing with um nowadays let's start with that yeah i think what happens you get way too caught up adam in making sure that the logo's right and the website's perfect and the business card looks good or whatever the case is you just need to do one thing and that's sell like hell uh, you need to dial for dollars, meet with everyone you can until you get to that kind of magical million in revenue. That really proves that you've got a viable business model uh, moving forward. And by the way, it takes that million to be then eligible to be a member in the entrepreneurs organization globally. And as I talk about in my book, only about 4% of companies ever scale up to that point. And that's what we want to do. And then from then on, you need to continue to sell like hell as well. <laughs> so it's always selling like hell, it, <laughs> no matter it, what. It, it is. And, uh, and again, because it's hard, it's like, uh, you know, being clear what your priorities are for the day. And if you give yourself five, you have a tendency then to do the four easy ones and not really get the one done that you need to. And that's often what happens with sales. And so if you don't make it the number one priority and make sure it's the first thing, that you're focused on and your team's focused on, particularly as a founder and person driving the sales, it's not gonna happen. And we get way too caught up in doing all this other busy work uh, that we think's important and necessary in order to make the sale, but it really isn't. I really like that. There's one of the things that I teach founders as well is that every day and that you should be teaching on to your salespeople is that every day you should write down your top five deals. If you don't know them, you, you should have them already written down. Uh, and the first things you should do is work, do one thing that's going to move, push the momentum forward on those five deals. Yeah. And it's what uh, Neil Rackham calls, you know, you want to make sure you get a real advance, not a continuous continuum, you know? And so, Somebody say, yeah, I think I'm interested to give me a phone call. That's not really advancing that deal. And so being very straight with yourself that I've got, I've really been able to move it forward and not just, not just kidding, uh, <laughs> me and the team. Yeah. You got to keep that momentum ball rolling. Otherwise, uh, it just, it stalls out. Yeah. And, and by the way, to that point, so we kind of cut right to it. One of the things that we're teaching, I'm getting ready to launch yet another one of our CEO boot camps here in a few hours. And the one, one of the many ideas that we share that seems to have the most immediate impact, and it comes from the top negotiation professor, Victoria Medbeck at Northwestern, is you want to drive all sales through, through um, synchronous communication, not asynchronous communication. So what does that mean? And so you've had the lunch, you've had the meeting, you come out of it and the client says, hey, I think we're good. Send me over the contract. And so you run back. Hey, I think we got the deal. Uh, you write it up, you send over the contract and then it goes dark. They don't respond to a phone call. They don't respond to an email. You're like, what happened? And the typical. problem is, no, it's very typical. And the yeah. problem is, that you should never, ever, 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 ever email over a proposal or contract without you or a human being, your salesperson, stapled to that contract. So what it means is if it's big enough, you want to say, all right, 
let me run back and let's put the contract together and we'll send it over. How would nine o'clock next Tuesday be? What do you mean? Well, I want to come back over and I'm going to walk you through line item by line item. Or if it's not that big a deal, at least, hey, can I jump on a phone call with you at nine o'clock next Tuesday? And you don't email that contractor proposal till 8.59. So that when you're on the phone, you say, hey, Charlie, did you get the contract? No, I don't. Well, check your email. It just was sent. Because here's what happens. You know, in the general meetings you've got, you really don't have time to get down to the, to the every detail. Now you send over the contractor proposal and it's like line item C-3A, something about, you know, ongoing maintenance charge or whatever the case. And without knowing it, you just upset the customer, the client. Yeah. And now, and that's what humans do. We have a tendency to focus on the negative stuff. That's why negative news sells, why fake news spreads much faster than than regular or true news. Yeah. That's what everyone's taking advantage of right now. And then what'll happen is the, them being upset about that one line item. They'll now spread evil about you throughout the entire organization. So instead, if you're there physically or on the phone, you can say, all right, open it up, Charlie, let me walk you through it line item by line item. And when you get to line item C-4-3A, and it's about these additional maintenance charges, and you either see on their face or you feel it over the phone, this kind of audible gasp, you can immediately begin to negotiate and, and dig into that and, and pivot if possible so that you don't kill the deal being absent from the room. So that's number one. Number two then, and then I'll tell you a story how this all played out. Now that you've done that, and they're talking about it internally, and then they happen to email you this, what looks like innocuous question. Hey, I got a question about rule number two. You never, ever, 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 ever email back an answer. All you do is email back. How quick can we jump on a call or I can come see you? Because there's always more to that question than their question. Always. Plus, always. Plus, if you send an email, you're only going to get 20 seconds of their attention. But if you set up a call, you may get 20 minutes. And because you've probably seen this question before, uh, between when the email came in and you have the phone conversation or meeting, you and your team can discuss what might be some issues behind that and how you're going to be prepared to respond again so you don't lose and upset this client. So um, our last boot camp, uh, one of the companies that K1, the big PE firm, had bought and is funding to scale up, was in the boot, the CEO was in the boot camp. And I had mentioned this and he said, Vern, you can't believe it, but probably the most important deal that our company wants to sign uh, is happening on Friday. And we're sending the proposal. And he says, let me, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to step out of this boot camp and let me be on the phone as we walk him through the proposal. And he comes back into the room with the other CEOs. He goes, first of all, that was amazing. I was able to avoid a couple of issues that had come up and got, we got them surfaced and the like. And he said, so that was great. So then he leaves from the boot camp and he follows up with me the following Tuesday. He said, Vern, it's exactly as you said. Over the weekend, the client then sent me this question and rather than respond to it, I said, hey, can we talk on Tuesday? And he said, we got him on the phone 
And two things happened. One, not only did as a result of that phone call, it was, there was a SaaS offering. Did we get the contract increased from two years to three years? But we also got a bump in about 10% of the value of that contract by understanding really what was behind that, what looked like simple question, and then doing some problem solving with the person. Now let's move forward two months later. That deal, as he suspected, was critical. It was a, one of those reference clients that you want that then when K1 uh, turned around and sold the company two months later, they got a huge, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars pop in valuation because they had landed it. And he can equate it all the way back to the fact that it was synchronous communication as opposed to asynchronous communication that was able to really close and increase the value of that deal. And by the way, through synchronous communication, you can normally dramatically shorten the sales cycle. It's what Victoria Medvec teaches Goldman Sachs. So they can take deals that might take months to close. They can get closed in days. So that's probably yeah. one of the most important things that we can pass on. I think it's, I couldn't agree with you more, but I want to expand on it as well, because I think not only does it like address the problem head on, which I think is always the right approach to do. Uh, don't try to beat around the bush or anything, but it also helps build that relationship and make that relationship stronger to be on the phone instead of by email, which in turn will help in other aspects of the of the deal. Well, so, you know, a very personal example, we were, uh, it had gone back out to bid. One, one of our longest and probably most important clients, uh, just because of the rules within their organization, they needed to put this contract that we had won initially up for bid five years later. And we did, there were 23 other competitors that we were up against. And we began, I instructed the person that was leading the charge on this contract to make sure that you kept engaged synchronously with the key person at that organization. Long story short, two months later, we won the contract and I decided to call in and say, hey, I just wanted to debrief. What was it that really was the tipping point for us to win this over everyone else? And the, the woman in, on the other side said, I must have talked to your person 20 times more than I talked to the other 23 in, com in combined. Yeah. And it's exactly as you said, at the end of the day, we we're selling to people, not to companies, not to organizations. And people really want to do business with folks they have a relationship with and they trust. And so the synchronous Absolutely. communication he does allow you, if you're, you're going to win, if you've had more talk time than the competition. Absolutely. And one thing that you said, though, is like when they, then when they email you, say, hey, can we jump on the phone? I like that. However, one thing that I do before is I actually just, I'll read that email and immediately call them uh, before trying to set a meeting. And then if they answer, I could address it then. If then if they don't answer, then I could set a meeting by email. By the way, you are exactly right. Um, and we've instructed our team to do the same because the minute that email comes in, they're thinking about it, it's top of mind, and if there's a phone number there, uh, call it. And about 30% of the time, I'll get the person. If not, when I send the email, then you can say, hey, I just tried to reach out to you, so it shows responsiveness. Uh, let's see how quick we can get on the, the phone so I can really make sure I'm addressing fully. You know, I think that's the key, uh, the questions you have. Yeah, absolutely. 
I think this is this is key, and I've I've seen so many people not follow these rules and and <laughs> and lose deals because of the loss of momentum and the loss of a relationship and and lack of communication, which means lack of uh, understanding. Yeah, for sure. You know, the other big thing that we learned from Victoria and we've put into practice, and it goes back to an HBR article about a year ago about the importance of going to a good, better, best pricing model. And in fact, the article, it's a very substantial article in HBR. You can see it. it's called Good, Better, Best Pricing. Uh, I think last October, November issue of HBR 2018. Uh, and at the end of the article, they talked about how uh, Dell EMC has adopted this uh, after they've made a sale when they're trying to then sell the after-service services by utilizing the good, better, best, they've been able to threefold increase the revenue that they've been able to gener- generate. So what does that mean? Um, you also don't, especially if you're in a competitive situation or you know that uh, there may be some low ballers that you're competing with for this particular uh, service or product that you're offering, you always want to submit three proposals, not one. And it's the other big classic mistake. We just made this mistake and almost lost another very important deal for our company. Uh, Because what you want to do then is vary the price across those three proposals, shining a huge spotlight on your strength that you feel is both important to that client and unique to you versus the other competitors that may be bidding for their attention or the business. And so this always submitting three proposals instead of just one is another key. And we can dig into that a little bit more if you want to, but but that's as important as the synchronous communication. Yeah, I'd like to dig into that. Like, how would that work? How would you, do you just like send the three different contracts or what do you do? You do, you send three proposals. And by the way, if you're sending, if you're dealing with a larger company, the first thing this does is it flusters the purchasing agent. If you've been somehow or another relegated to a purchasing person, they're going to elevate this to some VP or a director of this, that, or the other thing. And that's what you always want. You always want to be escalated up to a higher level whenever you're trying to sell, particularly to a larger organization. So that's number one. Number two, so let's be very precise. Let's say you've got some kind of a product or service offering. And the thing that you know is both important to the client and that you can do well is, say, responsiveness in turning around design or getting questions answered or support service. It's, it's kind of rack space. Hey, we'll answer the phone with a level two tech in three rings, which was really part of their whole fanatical support that Lanham and Graham created uh, coming out of that MIT program that I was running. They were early students of mine as they were then scaling up rack space. Um, and then what you want to do is say, all right, here is the lowball price. But I want to emphasize that design or response time may be five days or you're going to get FAQs or you're not going to get customization. You really say the things for this price that you're not going to get. And remember, people will do more to avoid a loss than to get a gain, according to the godfather of influence, Robert Cialdini. So you want to emphasize all the things that they're going to lose Uh, explicitly by going with this lower price. Then you're going to say for this median price, our response inventory turn, turnaround, technical support, design 
is going to be next day. Uh, and for this higher price, we'll do all of that within two hours. And then if you've got data that says, and by the way, 76% of the time, your people, in order to serve your customers, need two-hour response to questions, service, design, turnaround, whatever the case is. Now you've really made it about them. And what it does is it really brings to light the things that you know the competitors can't do or are leaving purposely out of the proposal in order to sneak in a lower price. And then once they're inside that client, then you know what happens. They start, you know, charging for all kinds of miscellaneous other things. But now the contract's signed, they're stuck, everybody's frustrated. Now, one of two things is going to happen. The director or VP on the other side is going to say, well, I hadn't really thought about all of that. I don't see any of that in the other proposals. And they're going to go back and question those people if it's important to the client. And then or, the prices will raise. <laughs> that's right. Or, they're going to, or you're going to find out that, you know what, they're going to take the cheap price and they don't value all that other stuff that you're doing that you put around the product and service. And so now you've got an important decision to make hey, maybe all this fancy stuff we're offering isn't that necessary. Or, you know what? This client doesn't value what we do. Let's go find clients that do, uh, which is generally more the case than, than the other. So there's a lot more detail behind even this, but the idea is to always submit, when you're in a competitive situation, uh, always submit three proposals and use it as a way to shine a broad light on the differentiated things that you do. Uh, and now it allows you to ferret out, does the client value that or not? Interesting, and would you put a summary with that though? Like a, just a one page or summary, like here's low price is X, you don't get X, Y, and Z. Mid price is this and you don't, and you get one, two, three, and high price is this and you get A, B, and C. Yeah, that's a, a really good thing to put in that kind of three-page executive summary you put on the front of every proposal, except there you want to really take a lesson from Tom Sant. You know, Tom is really the guru, I think, on proposal writing. And he says in a three-page summary, the big mistake people make is they spend, they open it up by talking about themselves. Hey, um, you know, scaling up has served 70,000 companies you know, since 1982, da, 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 da. Nobody wants to hear about you. You want to spend the first two pages um, really highlighting and escalating the issues and challenges that this client is facing so that you really create urgency. And then in the third page, you would want to summarize. Now, here are three solutions, good, better, best. By the way, it's a very subtle thing, but you always want to start with best, then go to uh, better, and then go to good. The sequence is even important. And again, that comes from some of the research of, of Robert Cialdini's. Yeah, because you're, you're giving them everything, and then you start to take it away, and they're like, no, I want that. And then it becomes important to them. Exactly. And, and you're anchoring them at the higher price, so your median seems like a better deal. Uh, as opposed to starting with low. It's, it's why it's easier for luxury car manufacturers like Mercedes to come downstream than it is for a, a, a low price company to try to go upstream and look more luxurious. Yeah. 
All right. You said something in kind of in passing that if this, uh, this client doesn't appreciate what you have to offer, then maybe it's time to look for other clients. And this is something that I know founders come across all the time and it's so important. Can you expand on that? Yeah, and I think it comes back to what I found was one of the most... By the way, this is the job of marketing. Marketing's job is to identify the list that sales is going to go after. You can't leave it up to salespeople to kind of go after anybody they want to. Now, I, I, I want to step back for a second. If you're a true startup, look, you're going to take on any customer that you can find. Um, but once you cross that chasm, then you really want to be more picky about the clients that you go after. So I'll use a very concrete example out of Austin. There's a company called Proof. Uh, they're a startup client of ours. Uh, and the tool they used was one that Regis McKenna taught Steve Jobs. And he taught Intel and Genentech. And he taught me back in 1983, after I had helped scale up that HVAC company, I then launched this world's largest entrepreneurship organization. And so I cold called Regis McKenna and said, hey, if you, if, you, if you can help Steve Jobs, maybe you can help me. And he took me on as his only like free client he'd ever had. And he said, all right, I'm going to teach you what I taught Steve. And the key was, and, and Bill Gates considered the best question he'd ever been asked, take a piece of paper out and make a list of the top 25 influencers, relationships, reference clients that you absolutely need to get on board if you're going to scale this thing rapidly. And so Proof did that. They took a piece of paper out almost when they launched and said, and they made a list of the 50 most important companies that they wanted. And they're, they're an app that sits on people's websites that prove uh, certain things. It's called Proof out of Boston. And they made a list of those 50 reference customers. And that's the list, Adam, that they worked. And they have 40 of those 50 already. Uh, yeah. And the company is expanding. And what it reminds me of is uh, Sam Palmasano. You know, Sam was kind enough to endorse the back of my second book. And he was the guy that ultimately became CEO of IBM and doubled their market cap during the Great Recession. I mean, it was, it was monumental what he achieved. And, and what got him in that role was something that he did earlier in turning around a vision, which every startup can think about. And that is they needed sales. And he could have said to the sales team, all right, go out and get me more revenue. But instead, he sat back. And here's how you want to think about it. What is the best, most likely next customer? You know, who's going to be best aligned to need my product or service? And he reasoned, given the product line that he was trying to sell on IBM, that it was customers of EMC that had bought a certain suite of EMC products. And he said, if they've got that suite, they probably are ready for what we have to offer. And then what he did is he went out and he gathered intel of what were the top 100 clients of EMC that had bought that particular suite. And then he used the most powerful management tool ever created. Bill Gates said it was the most tool, important tool he ever used in scaling Microsoft. And that was the whiteboard. And, and he Sam took a big whiteboard across from his desk and he wrote on that whiteboard the names of these hundred customers. And that's what every person listening to this podcast needs to do. Get a big whiteboard out or paint your wall with that whiteboard paint. And then I want you to take a magic marker and I, or a marker and I want you to go onto that wall and I want you to list 
the five or the 25 or the 50 clients you most want next. And so Sam did that with the hundred. And then you want to get on a daily call and he'd get on a daily call with his sales team or with yourself. And the question is, what have we done to advance with one of those? It's kind of how you opened up uh, this podcast. And his question the next day is, has anyone got to the list of the hundred? His question the next day, what have we done to get to any one of the hundred? And if somebody came back and said, hey, I'm nobody on the hundred, but I've got a hot deal over here. Sam would say, no, I don't think you heard me. We're going after those hundred and nobody else. They got him. Sam turned around that division and ultimately became CEO of IBM. That same process I did when I started EO. I made a list of 25 people I absolutely had to have on board uh, in order to scale. And within 36 months, Adam, I had all 25 and we were global that quick. Yeah. I think it's so important to be targeted and focused in, in your work, especially with sales. You're you're trying to talk to everybody and then you don't give attention. So when you have a focus list, A, you're you're keeping to people that like you know or you know who they are and you know what they're about and it drives you and that the tool that you're saying and using a whiteboard, this is one of the most important things that I, I use when I was an individual contributor is having a whiteboard right in front of me on my desk, right up uh, above the monitor with all my deals in the pipeline and what their next stage is and when they're supposed to close. You got it. You, you, need, a, you need a visual like that. Yeah. And it can't be a, an Excel sheet on your computer because it's not always in front of you. Uh, and there's something about having it big and written right in front of you that really pushes you and keeps you going. Yeah, and have it right next, have it as well um, on a mirror right next to where you get ready in the morning. <laughs> I like that. Really make you think all the time. No, seriously. Because I, I know it sounds crazy. But I really, really do get some of my real breakthrough ideas in the shower. I don't know why that is. Uh, but for me, it is one of those. It is one of those places. Yeah, for me, it's when I'm walking my dog and uh, and strolling out in nature. Yeah, for sure. The problem is, is I don't ever have a notepad with me, so I have to somehow remember it or write it down. <laughs> yeah, well, it's why I love my Samsung Note. You know, I just pop out the pen and I'll jot it down right on my phone. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, what do you say to the founders that are out there and they're like, no, I'm a technical guy. I don't know how to do sales. I just want to hire somebody that's, that's done this before. And I want him to take care of this for me. Well, I think you've got to at least try to do it yourself. So you get a feel for what the objections are and issues. And by the way, who spoke deeply about that is Ben Horowitz. You know, Ben in his first book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, he talks about the big thing he learned at LoudCloud was before he ended up hiring, in this case, his head of sales, uh, he did the job himself first, just so he could get a feel for exactly the kind of person he needed and the kind of questions they're going to deal with uh, so he could, he could zone in on the person that was required. And, he, and I encourage everyone in sales or founder to read that book and particularly uh, those couple of stories about what Ben saw as critical in sales um, and, and sales coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that book. It was terrific. For sure. So All yeah, right. do it yourself. Do it yourself. 
And then, um, and the other thing I think Ben highlights there is, you know, you've got to be willing, especially as startups, to kind of put up with some quirkiness, uh, so long as the person you're bringing on can get those results. And we're really clear that you should hire any anyone you hire into the company needs to pass four tests. And it's in the reverse order of what most people think. The first thing you want to hire for is will. The will to succeed, the will to learn, the will to get back up when you've been knocked down. And that's really, really hard uh, to train. And so you got to look for will first. Number two, match your values. Uh, but the head, of, the head of sales that Ben ended up hiring wasn't necessarily the best culture fit. Um, but he could definitely do the third thing, which was get results. And so if you need somebody to deliver 200,000 or 200 million in revenue for you, and they've never done anything close to that in any of their previous jobs, why do you think they're going to start magically doing it for you? And then the last is skill. And what most folks ha- try to have a tendency to do is look for skill. Hey, it's like on a job description. Has the ability to call on high-level executives in the telecom industry. All right, yeah, maybe that's good, but do they have the will to really persevere? Do they fit our values? And most importantly, can they get results? And that's what struck Ben is this guy, even though everybody wanted to not hire him, he saw that because he had done part, he'd done the job himself, that this guy could get him results. And he did. And that was the key to allow cloud finally being a huge success. I have a feeling that, uh, that everybody listening has been stopping and playing this uh, podcast and taking uh, some good notes from what you're saying here. Well, good. I hope so. We like to be really practical and get right to the point about what's necessary in all aspects of the business, not just sales. Yeah. Terrific. Um, what, what's one piece of advice that you have for all the founders that are listening? Um, well, first, read my book, Scaling Up. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. I, you know, it's a labor of love that we combined about 40 other books that you really should read into one book that's, that's really practical. Uh, and I think number two, if you're a sole founder, get a co-founder. You know, it's one of the reasons why my early student, Brad Fell, who co-founded Techstars, said, hey, you're not allowed into Techstars unless you have at least a co-founder. And the research that Dr. Ed Roberts found at MIT of companies that scaled further faster, um, two founders did were better than one, three was better than two, four was better than three, and five was better than four, and then he ran out of data points. And then number two, um, it's different than sales. You need somebody really focused on marketing. And those were two of the key things that Dr. Ed Roberts found in his research of uh, studying high, uh, fast growth, high tech companies. Interesting. I, I've, I came across you from, and your book because of a, another guest that came on and he told me that he, he looks at your book as a Bible. And so I, I if somebody that I, I respected said that, I'm going to, I, I came directly to you to get you on the podcast. Oh, well, that's super kind. Uh, of them amen yeah so Vernie, thanks so much for uh coming on and and sharing all this with with us uh how can people reach out to you and and find out more information about your book or anything well the book's scaling up and so the website is scalingup.com 
and we've got a media site called scaleups.com. And so, by the way, one of the things we encourage all founders to do is really figure out what word or two you're going to own in the minds of the market. You know, Google owns search, Volvo owns safety, uh, and we really feel like uh, we're getting down the road globally of owning the term scaling up and scale-ups. Uh, so just go to scalingup.com. Terrific. And a lot of free resources. Look for a picture of the book. And right next to it, Adam, will be links for a free chapter called The Barriers. What are the three things that really get in the way of scaling up that I think all the founders could take a look at. They don't have to spend a penny with us. All of our growth tools in multiple languages are there for free. So just a lot. And there's a bonus chapter on how to, because this is a good time of the year. I don't know when this is going to air. Uh, but there's a bonus chapter. Again, you can download for free called Strategic Planning, kind of how to prepare and run a strategic planning session. We're getting ready to do that ourselves for our company here for 2020. Terrific. Vern, thanks so much for coming. You got it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.